Hey folks, it's John from A's for Alcoholic again. Today's conversation is with Dimitri Fuchs. He is a physical therapist who brings physical therapy into recovery centers, among many other places. Um, he's also a fan of 90s hip hop, like Jerry and I. He is an all around cool dude who was nice enough to share his story with us. Um, I had a great time talking to him. He told us about his time in rehab and how he gives back to his community of recovery now, including he did 50 burpees a day for people who were open about their recovery last year. So that's something like 18,000 burpees. And if you don't know what a burpee is, you should go look it up. It's hard. It's not an easy exercise to do. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Dimitri Fuchs. I am annoyingly open about my journey. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. We 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 like that about you. Um, I first I first came to know who you are, or at least a little bit of you, or or heard of you. My introduction to you was, um, I was starting this podcast last year, and I was like, um, you know, who's gonna who's gonna listen to this? And I don't know if anybody is, and I don't know if what I'm doing. Like, why am I doing this? And am I do is is anybody gonna care? Basically. And then, so we had the Instagram account and then all of a sudden I'm like, who's this dude doing burpees? <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and it was like, doing why is this dude doing burpees? He's like, you know, A is for alcoholic. Thank you for being open about your recovery. Here's 50 burpees. That's and I was right. like, what? And I was like, that's awesome. All right. Somebody's listening, you know? And, and, um, so I want to thank you for that one. Um, a hell of a way to get to keep yourself accountable and in shape. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. I, on day on day two, I realized that this accountability stuff is gonna just kick me in the ass so hard. And what, did it? What a, yeah, the the burpees themselves aren't the difficult part. It's just fifty. You know, at some point, you could just space them out and take your time. <laughs> they don't have to be hard. And I'm in decent shape. It was just the commitment to the daily, the yeah. recording, the the posting, the conversations that happen. That's that was what the commitment was. It became it became a uh, a full time job just to maintain sure. the the fifty burpees for it was for a year, right? One year. Yeah, One that's year. awesome. Um. So I guess the, the place that I like to start is to ask you how far back, when did you start either drinking alcoholically or when did you recognize now alcoholic behavior in yourself, either as a young adult or child? Mm -hmm. mm. I guess I can, if, if we replace the word alcoholic with just addictive behavior, mm -hmm. I, would, I would stem it back to seven eight years old where um i i found the love for gluttonous behavior and i just like to eat it was uh -huh. at a young age i i feel i developed some body issues where food just became a little comfort for me if somebody asked me where i wanted to have my birthday the answer would be a buffet you know, that's just what I wanted. Mm -hmm. I mean, I could eat as much as I want, and the goal was to stuff my face. I was proud as how many plates I could pack. You know, I went four rounds, Dad. I went five rounds. You know, that that was the behavior that now looking back, I recognize was not good behavior. Uh, was not healthy behavior, maybe I could say. Mm -hmm. uh, the drinking and the drugging, if if I may discuss some of that as well. Yeah. Um. That all started middle school. So at about 12, 13 years old, eighth grade, whatever that was, this kid just said, hey, you want to smoke? And I said, yeah. I, I didn't ask him what it was. I didn't, <laughs> he just pulled out this little nickel bag of some brown bullshit and asked me if I wanted to smoke. And the D.A.R.E. program went out my head. The all kinds of rationale and questioning went out. I just said, yeah. 
and he was the cool kid I wanted to be cool so I just said yeah so we smoked after school and that's kind of, that was kind of the start of it mm-hmm. smoking smoking weed in middle school smoking some garbage some garbage I mean that bag probably had more sticks and seeds than the dead leaves and uh, I got caught the first time I smoked I got in trouble the first time I was off to a good start. I didn't get high, but I did experience doing something bad and I enjoyed it. Mm. That sounds kind of weird, but mm-hmm. I enjoyed I enjoyed the attention I got from the cool kids. I enjoyed the attention I got from this little rep I was creating. And it didn't really matter that I got caught, you know. And uh after that it was it was just pot and drinking. It wasn't so much I was addicted to pot or I was a drink addicted to drinking, but it just became a lifestyle, you know. More frequently than not. And if it was available, it was a ninety nine percent yes, please, versus a no, no thank you. So that's what kind of where it started, middle school into high school. And so you're you're smoking and drinking, and that's that's pretty normal for a right. lot of people, I think. It was for me, you know, right. smoking and drinking in high school, no big deal. Uh, did you did you come across any more trouble during those times? I mean, did it did it escalate to a point? Was there? I mean, because I know that teenagers can be rebellious as well. Yeah, I was always in some kind of trouble. Always mm-hmm. in some trouble. Um, that that whole progression of it's fun then it's fun with problems then it's just problems i never had that it's just fun face because from the start it was fun with problems i i got caught i thought my dad was gonna whoop my ass instead he was just like hey did you learn your lesson don't do it again he left the room that was his way of saying hey learn from your own mistakes here's your chance and i Mm. clearly failed that one um i appreciate that like that looking back, you know, that, that was an that was an awesome parenting uh maybe idea to just give your child an opportunity to learn by himself. But no, I I, I just kept getting in trouble. Um I didn't get in trouble with the law as much as I just kept getting caught by my parents mm-hmm. and friends. Um it's really hard to get the, the smell of drinking and drugging out of your life. That smell will always haunt like it was always it was always the thing that got me caught um unlike other substances where you know you just kind of hide your baggie you can't hide the smell you can't hide the reek <clears throat> the stench of booze or pot you do you can't. find today that you can you can pick it up on people now too even just faintly i'll walk by somebody A and thousand percent and i live in southern california I live in Los Angeles and Orange County, and <laughs> the the smell of the odor of pot is everywhere. I usually live next to busy areas and metropolitan, so bars are everywhere. Yeah. And I um I I work with individuals in recovery, and this is in, but I get them to sweat now, and you all know if you've been drinking. And you start sweating, like exercising the next day. Oh, does that shit come out of your pores? It is in, It is so easy to spot somebody who's been drinking once they start exercising the mm-hmm. next day or something. It just seeps right out. <clears throat> so you're getting in trouble with your parents. High right. school comes and goes. Um, do you leave right after high school? Do you find that finally you have some freedom? Or what happens after high school? I was in trouble high school transition into college so i got in trouble with the law when i was 17 i got kicked out of high school drug related and i still got into ucla though i got into a really good school um right from high school and but i enrolled in the university while i was on probation so i was on fairly good behavior Uh, Mm -hmm. my grades my grades have always been pretty good um Somehow I was just gifted with the ability to excel academically. That's about it. You know, doesn't make me better at anything or not. But for some reason, being in the classroom was comfortable to me. And uh, I took to it. So my grades were good. That got me into university. And 
after that transition, I was on probation. Um, you know, that every month or so I'd have to go give a sample, pee in a cup for my PO. Um, I had to go to an outpatient rehab. I already forgot. I think it was called Right Start or something. And I was still drinking because I, I was much harder to get caught. I, I put mm-hmm. down the pot because I was scared to piss dirty. Even though I smoked a couple times, I was just fortunate not to get caught. But I would drink a lot more. Those were the first few times I actually got hung over with alcohol. And that's a disgusting feeling. Man, I don't miss being hung over. No. Um, <laughs> first time I got hung over, I was at uh, a girl I was dating at her place. We woke up the next morning. Her parents had like invited us for breakfast. And, and it was terrible to sit at that table hung over at like 18 years old trying to socialize with parents that you're trying to you know impress but at 18 at 19 years old I got off probation and it it all went south from there the grades dropped the frequency increased of drinking and drugging so yeah that that was kind of how it went picked up right where you left off as they say um, and did you, after probation ends college, do you graduate from UCLA? Does that work out well? Does you have any, uh, trouble with that during that oh, time? I, I had so much trouble. I had so much trouble. Um, for some reason, this life placed a counselor in my life who gave me chances, who really worked hard to keep me enrolled and not get me kicked out of the system. Uh, I don't know what he saw in me, but he really worked so hard. And I, I think sees it to this day. My grades started to drop tremendously. It's really hard to maintain good grades when you're inebriated and high. And it's really hard to maintain good grades when you just stop showing up. So that, that was it. You know, that was the formula. It's not that kids are stupid. It's just they don't set themselves up for any level of academic success at that point. And I would be on academic probation constantly. One semester, get out of it. What the next semester, get back into it. One semester, climb out. And so my transcripts are just, they spiral downhill with a few little uphills. And a couple semesters, I had to just completely withdraw because I could not have such bad grades on my record. It would for sure kick me out. So. He was like, hey, you just have to withdraw this semester. And then again, like a year later, you have to withdraw this semester. And at at some point, I did graduate, though. Six and a half years later, uh, it took me through three majors. I was pre-med when I started. And I did want to be a doctor growing up. Then I realized I didn't want to study. It was it was hard to compete with these kids that can fucking study like robots at 18 mm-hmm. years old. I didn't have that level of discipline yet. And then I became an Italian major because I thought it was cool. And I was just going to be a high school math teacher. And I just wanted to smoke pot and hang out. And then I realized I didn't want to write papers in Italian. So I dropped that. <laughs> <laughs> and then so I graduated with economics and... Cause it was the shortest possible major and I was running out of units and Caesar was like, Hey guy, um, you have to graduate. And I wanted, I was like, fine, I'll be a math major. Cause I like math. And he was like, you, you don't have enough units to do math. It was like the longest major on campus. So economics, it is six and a half years later, December, 2009. Mm-hmm. Actually, I brought my grandmother home a letter directly from my counselor that said, congratulations, your grandson has finished. And because it was, it was, again, it was a shit show of like, is he he ever going to do something with this? So I brought her a letter from him saying, hey, he finished. 2.49, my friend. You did it. You did it. it. Um, So after college, you, do you, um, does drinking continue? Does it get worse? Does it? Um, sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was just gonna say, uh, where do where do you find yourself after college? After college, it 
kept spiraling because toward the end of college, it was already spiraling. Let's say the last two or so years, the, um, the amount of time I spent either uh, high or drunk was most of the day, some base level. It wasn't always being shit-faced. Mm-hmm. But there was some base level of intoxication with whatever substance. And toward that time, it became uh, a lot more um, heavy opioid use. It became, I found, I started, I started like low-key peddling OxyContin because there was a little bit of a demand and I wanted it for myself. And we all know how that goes. You find yourself a cheaper route by getting a couple people to join in and then everybody disperses the the cost. So I got into that and now it's just a downward spiral. And when I graduated, I was full blown. I was without sugarcoating it. Let's just say I was a junkie. I was just a junkie. Mm-hmm. And 2000, that was 2009. And then in August, 2010, August 4th, I finally got clean. So that was about nine more months of just immoral, just insane behavior that I never thought I'd get to. And now that was a tough patch. That was a tough patch because on, um, so my grandmother is very influential to me. She, she had a very big role in raising me and I shared a room with her for about 20 years almost 20 years and she passed away on my birthday on May 3rd and that just sent me into a deeper spiral and on August 3rd my family took me to a hospital detox because I was done that's just before that that was the first time I actually asked for help so stopped my dad in the hallway and he was like I was like hey please help me I, I can't do this I've tried on my own for years so I took it seriously on August 3rd August 4th is my sober date August 4th so te- 2010 te- yes 2010 because August 3rd I woke up and I just did everything I had from the night before and then checked in yeah so they they helped you your dad helped you get into a rehab or get into a, a hospital Absolutely. My, um, so my, my parents are very important here. My sister was the one that initiated all the conversations. Um, my sister is nine years, my senior. So that's another mother to me. And I told them all. And within a couple of days, I saw this phone number laying on my coffee table. I just had a name and a number. And that's the intake coordinator from a uh, addiction treatment center in Orange County. So my sister kind of got all that going, set that up. I just said, please get me out of Los Angeles. So they found a place in Orange County. It was about 65 miles south. So not too far where my parents can come and visit. But I was not in my stomping grounds. Right. Yeah. And so how long were you there for? Was it like a 30-day program or? Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a residential treatment center. So okay. they, most of them have this whole 30, 60, 90 option. I started at 30. On day 23, I called my dad and I was like, I'm ready to go. I was all good. I, I, I was not the role model client in the sense that I did work. But I was the role model client in the sense that I didn't cause any trouble. I just, I stuck to myself. Um, I wasn't willing to put in any work, but also had no interest in causing anybody trouble. So right. I just kind of a fly on the wall kind of deal. And on day three, 23, I was like, after two weeks of just hard kicking, it was terrible. I got, um, I felt I was ready to go back. And then on day 30, when my sister and my dad came to pick me up they had a little sit down with them and they're like your child is not ready to go home and that's and that's a fact now that i learned that 30 days of improved behavior does not change 20 years of ingrained behavior 
It just doesn't. And so they convinced me to stay another 30. And on day 54, my parents came to visit and they took me to dinner and I asked them, can I stay for 30 more days? Because I was at that point, I was willing. I was really willing to change my life around. And I knew I needed to stay around those people. And that was a lot to ask of my parents. Um, we, we've never had financial security. Uh, we've had what we needed. But to ask my parents to, hey, can, can you please find another thousands, thousands, thousands of dollars to mm -hmm. have me stay for another 30 days? This shit is not cheap. Yeah. Um, now I, I hope they believe that this is, that was a really good investment. But it's really hard to ask for another 30 days, but I felt I needed it. Uh, so I stayed for 90 days. And then toward the end, I knew that in these treatment centers, they sometimes hire from within, you know, they, they'll give an opportunity to somebody that's gone through them. They'll give them their first get well job to drive the druggy buggy around or something, clean the house. Mm -hmm. And I, I was walking around like, please, I hope they ask me, I hope they ask me to stay around and 7 a.m. morning meeting, the program director, uh, we were walking outside. The meeting finished at 8 a.m. And he was like, hey, you want to stick around? And I remember that morning, I was like, yes, yes, yes. I want to work for you guys. I just want to stay around. I knew, I knew that I had to surround myself completely. I had to engulf my life um, with sobriety and recovery-related anything. <clears throat> Because otherwise, you get good at what you do. And if I was going to go back home and, and just do more bullshit, I was going to get good at bullshit again. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to get good at recovery. I wanted to get good at sobriety. Whether that's a, a skill set or a behavior, I don't know. I just wanted to be good at recovery. I think it's both. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I stuck around for another eight months working at uh, a treatment center as a resident director is the fancy term or just a house manager depending on who i talk to or what <laughs> letter i'm writing right house manager or resident director <laughs> mm -hmm. and that was a very interesting experience eight more months of trying to wake drug addicts and alcoholics up at 6 a.m to make them get to a 7 a.m meeting because i also have to drive them and okay. make sure they do their chores and i'm a 25 year old kid trying to tell a 60 year old alcoholic or a 34 year old convicted felon i've I had a co-ed house with six to like 10 people and it's like who am i to mm -hmm. tell them what to do plus i only had like three more months of sobriety on them it's not like i know anything but you know but that's your job I, right and and i i walked around like i knew what i was talking about for them to respect me and kind of do what I asked them to. I had to show them a level of respect, show them that, hey, I, I really care about you guys, and things flowed a lot better. So you do that eight months. Where where do you go next? I mean, what is the, uh, now that you have, at least in your mind, gotten a little bit of sobriety and a little bit of recovery, and you're actually ensconced in it, um, do you go looking for a job in the recovery realm right away or was there something else um i so at, at 11 months i was ready to get back to hollywood i was ready to get back to um a fun environment it got real boring out here and, um. and yeah I, I just wanted to get back to la but i didn't know what i was going to do i just realized i was going to go back to school Again, that's kind of my safe place, mm -hmm. classroom, a library, whatever, campus. So I just went back to school, started taking classes again. I knew I had to raise my GPA if I was ever going to go to a graduate program. What did I even do? Oh, I went back to a marketing job and I realized I quit within a couple months because something inside of me has changed. Everything that I do had to be for the greater good of something. And I quit because I was like, what the fuck am I doing promoting clothes? Like, yeah, clothes are cool. And I really dug the people I was working with and I support. I supported that movement. It, it was a great brand. But 
the fuck am I doing peddling clothes? Like, why do, why do I need to convince somebody they need a $30 t-shirt? Who the fuck cares? Uh, so I quit. I also couldn't compete. I couldn't, like, keep up with the, the, the new age of marketing where, you know, everything has to be electronic and social media. And I am not that guy. I'm learning. But I'm mm-hmm. not that guy. I'm guerrilla marketing. I show up. I show my face. I'm, I get one foot away from you and I tell you what you need to hear. I'm that guy. And t- times changed since that was an acceptable way of marketing. So I quit that. And then I, I became an insurance salesman. I quit within two weeks of that. Because, again, I was like, what the fuck am I doing trying to convince somebody they need auto insurance and, and fire insurance? I get it. Necessary things. Mm-hmm. I'm not for it. I'm right. not for it. So I quit again. And then I just went back to school. And I typed this up into Google search, most fulfilling careers, because I was tired of just, I did, I utilized Google and Wikipedia for everything. Google told me that the 10 most fulfilling careers in various orders, depending on the list, there were two healthcare professions. One was nursing, one was physical therapy. And I didn't want to be a nurse. I think I, I think I could have, but I didn't want to be a nurse. So I was like, what is this physical therapy stuff about? And I looked into it and it kind of provided me that opportunity to be a geek and be all about science. And it gave me an opportunity to practice healthcare. So I was like, all right, I I like working with people. I like um, the physical aspect of life. So I'm going to look into it a little bit. I also realized that I wanted to work with people with substance abuse because that I found that the most fulfilling career or job I ever had was working in recovery. Mm-hmm. It was so fulfilling to be amongst my people, like whether they're relapsing or staying straight, I felt like I had a place there. Uh, I had some input. So I was like, how am I going to get back there? I don't want to be a counselor, nor do I want to, drive a druggy buggy for years so i realized i'm going to bring my own skill set and become a physical therapist and bring physical recovery to treatment centers that's going to be my way in so you created your own uh your own job you created your own path back to recovery or working with people in recovery very fair to say cuz i didn't know a single person doing that and i i i I, I think we, when we talk about recovery, we we often talk about the physical, or not the physical, but the mental and the emotional recovery of of getting your life back together, of of mending relationships with people. Um, and I don't always hear a lot about the physical aspects of it, about the the level of destruction that I did to my body um, was huge. And it never occurred to me in all the times that I was drinking that, you know, about being healthy, about being active, about, you know, worrying about my posture and alignments <laughs> and weight gain and weight loss and, and trying to just stay healthy because the older we get, our bodies just, I mean, they just get older. And so they require maintenance. Like you're, you know, one day at a time, man, you got to get out there and, uh, do what you got to do to make yourself but we just don't talk about the physical aspect of recovery as much. So, so you, you, that's great. you did a great job highlighting just the natural aging that happens. That's just, you know, everybody has to take some interest in their physical health because that's just a natural part of aging and deterioration. Now add the life of destruction we lived. Um, on day one, when we decide to get right, we are not the epitome of physical health. Mm-hmm. The life, the lifestyle of addiction wreaks havoc on the body. Alcoholism <clears throat> wreaks havoc on the body. So, why is somebody not addressing that as a component of care? It's not the solution. Just like therapy isn't the solution. It's just a piece of this interdisciplinary approach to a, let's say, multifaceted problem. So, mm-hmm. I just want to be a team player on there. Because I have, I have insight that can help. 
So what would you what would you say to somebody who is who's 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 at the point where they're saying, you know, the shit has got to stop. I've had enough. I want to get done. And what are those those physical components? Now, we know about rehabs. We know about there's lots of different programs, whether it's, you know, refuge recovery or AA or any number of of spiritual and and programs that can help you rewire your brain. But what do you say to somebody who's starting out early in recovery and is looking for some kind of physical program of recovery? First, I'd like to say thank you for bringing up refuge recovery. I saw on an older uh, podcast of yours that R was for refuge recovery. And uh-huh. I'm a member. I, I love it. Um, when I'm in L.A., I, I had a commitment at the refuge meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, great program. Fully subscribe to it. Uh, not many people know about it, too. But now there's about 700 meetings uh, nationwide or worldwide. So it's yeah. grown like... 600% or something, or no, I, I calculated the growth once where it started from a couple meetings to now six, 700, and it's phenomenal. Um, but where I would start for somebody who's trying to get their physical health back. So if, if I just answer the question about where a newcomer starts, it's you find a community and you generally find a community in a rehab. That's why people stay sober for those first 30 days initially, because they're surrounded by a community of like-minded individuals that just wants to help. Now, if the question is more specific, where do they want to start in a physical way? There are communities of sober people getting together to work out. Um, One that is doing an amazing job is called the Phoenix. The Phoenix unbroke the the Phoenix multi-sport is what it was initially called, but I think it's now just called the Phoenix, has numerous locations across America. And I love promoting them. Scott uh, is fantastic at what he's put together. If you have 48 hours or more of continuous sobriety, you can work out at their gym for free. Wow. So here's, here's an example. So there's a location in Costa Mesa. It's a CrossFit gym. Uh, Perignum is what it's called. And numerous times throughout the week, they allocate to the Phoenix, where anybody in recovery can go there and work out together, doing a CrossFit workout. You just have to sign a waiver. It says you're 48 hours or more clean. And in that community, you will start meeting people that are sober, trying to get sober, long-term recovery with a common purpose of improving their physical health. And we all know the benefits of the addictive nature of crossfit you know whether you love it or hate it it is powerful shit mm-hmm. when, when people work together they fall on the floor afterwards and everybody picks each other up so that's a great place to start and there's locations in colorado uh there's a number of locations on the east coast uh, i want to say they have over 10 locations now but the Phoenix is a great place to start. Okay. Other than that, um, now something we started is called Fizz Recovery, where they can at least reach out to us on social media or through our page, where we're not providing like one-on-one services yet to the community. We're still in the treatment center, but the goal eventually is to make Fizz Recovery a initial, uh, I guess, stepping point to get your physical recovery back we're just we haven't gotten there yet but start with the phoenix Mm -hmm. and then so you go into rehabs and other recovery centers and you i mean do you have like do you have an office that you work out of now or do you travel to rehab centers and help people with that physical recovery aspect of their recovery currently we bring it to them right so we take a space that they've allocated for a group room for their group treatments and we are designated an hour or two or whatever and in that time we clean out the room and we set up a a pop-up physical therapy clinic so it has exercise equipment and it has tables for hands-on manual work or whatever the person needs so 
and then we break down, put the room back together like it was prior, and we leave. So we bring it directly to them. That's awesome. And you you said you're in the uh, in the L.A. area, right? Currently in South Orange County. South so Orange County. Have, okay. So, but we're <laughs> always in the process of expanding. Our first our first evaluation was April first of this year. So we're in the infancy stages of something right. that I think is going to really help a lot of people. And how is it received at these uh, at the recovery centers? I haven't heard a single person say no. I don't want to come back. <laughs> you know, it's we we make it fun. Mm-hmm. The the owners of the facilities are enjoying the conversation. The the staff is asking like, hey, can we participate or can I get physical therapy services? And the clients are they're enjoying this community bonding event that's what it becomes it becomes a community again just the focus is physical recovery that's awesome that's great i mean because i know that for me um even after i got sober and even being in the program and feeling like i was doing some real work on myself i didn't you know i thought i was just gonna lose weight I was I was much more overweight than I am now. I was like 270 pounds. And I thought, oh, well, I quit drinking. Everything will will fix itself now, right? And that uh-huh. wasn't the case at all. No. And it took me <laughs> I was I was sorely mistaken. And it took me like two and a half, almost three years before I started actually going, oh, I need to worry about what I eat. Um, yes. and I'm also, you know, I'm 42 years old. So that, that also plays a role, but I, and then I need to start exercising and it just, it never occurred to me. So I was like, okay, I'll start walking. And so that's how I started was just, I'm just going to go for my, I'm going to go for a mile walk. And that was all I could do. And like, but that was, that was a lot to me. And, you know, um, and so it just, I, I, I came to realize that just like I did with the spiritual work, with the emotional work, with the mental work, with dealing with the childhood traumas, all that stuff that is ongoing, so does my physical health need to be. And, you know, last August I started walking and yesterday I was able to run six miles. So, you know, like <laughs> not to, but <laughs> thank you. That's impressive. But it, really it just, it just, but it's also that, that same idea of, um, the daily maintenance that's, that's required. Um, and I, I just didn't, it took me a while to get it and that's fine. Like it takes what it takes, right. Then for any of us to get anywhere near recovering from alcoholism or drug addiction, like, and I always tell people when they ask me about it, like, go easy on yourself, man. It's okay. Because how many times did I sit around eating like shit and not doing anything and feeling so miserable and sorry for myself and hating myself for it? And now I look back and go, you were just trying to protect yourself, man. You were going through some heavy shit, right? Right. So, mm-hmm. so I always tell people when they ask me, they're like, oh, you look great, John. You know, people who haven't seen me in a while. And they're like, what are you doing? And I said, I just go out there every day, like even if it's a little bit, you know? And um, I thought like, that thing that you do, like you, you're like, I'm going to do 50 burpees for a year and shout out to people. And I was like, that's so awesome. I could never do 50 burpees. And now I think about it and I'm like, not that I I want to put it out there into the world just yet, (laughs) (laughs) but like, okay, well, what can I do, you know, and what is possible? And then so little by little, each and every day through recovery, we find out that we're a lot more powerful than we think we are. And I'm 42 and I'm in the best shape I've ever been. I'm still far from where I want to be, but I just really appreciate, you know, like what you do, you go and you bring it to people so that they don't have to, there's, there's so much wallowing that can happen even in recovery. You know, when you don't get the, I know I didn't get the big pink cloud and the spiritual epiphanies and all that kind of stuff. So it's easy to be like, oh, well, this is my life now. This life sucks. I guess I just don't party and have fun anymore. And it's like, oh. But someone like you comes in and says, hey, no, you can be active. You can have fun. You know, your body is this amazing thing, you know. And right. um, uh, 
I guess, you know, I, one thing I would like to ask is in your, what is like your daily program of recovery too? Not just physical, but. Right. Um, at one point in early recovery, my program was as many meetings as it can go mm -hmm. and as many phone calls as I can make. Now it's completely changed um, in the sense that there are more moving pieces. So I think it's very common to hear somebody ask, well, what's your meeting schedule like? It's like, oh, you're, oh, you're only going to two a week? Oh. And then you get shamed for only going to two a week. Like, fuck, yo, I got, I, got, I got shit to do. And then, so I, at one point, started only going to a couple meetings a week. And then at one point, it was just one solid-ass meeting, though, man. Like, I got so much out of that meeting. It was Friday night. It was a culmination of my week. There was a half-hour meditation before the meeting. And then a full hour of a meeting in a, uh, at the Dharma Zen Center. So it was therapeutic as fuck. One powerful meeting. But what's the rest of the week like? Almost everything is about recovery. And I've made it that way. So it's just various things. A, my, my professional mission is to work with individuals that are like us. So every time I make a connection or I speak with somebody or I work toward it, that's my recovery. That's my program. Yeah. Uh, if, when I was uh, in physical therapy school, I didn't go to many meetings. It was a lot more studying. But what was the intent? The goal was to bring that into the, the, the sphere of addiction and alcoholism. So that's a part of my program. The social media engagements, the accountability I had on Instagram or whatever, that's a part of my program. Every day I made numerous connections online um, to see how they're doing or they ask how I'm doing. And again, that takes time throughout the day. The level of spirituality and gratitude, the prayer meditation, that's just a part of the day. Whether that's, I mean, my, my room has always, since I got, since 30 days, since 110 days clean, I think, I took the TV out of my room and I put a cushion in. So meditation and prayer, whatever, that's just a part of the, the morning routine, part of the evening routine. Um, other than that, I don't have any other moving pieces that are recovery specific. That's still but, a lot. But then again, um, I talk about it a lot. When people, I, if I meet somebody and it's an opportunity for me to tell them I am sober or ask them about the conversation or topic, I do it. I think it's important for us to be willing to share our stories as often as possible, you know, given time, place, context, whatever. Um, you don't want to be the annoying room person in the room at all times. But if there's a window of opportunity, be your best advocate. And so I talk about it. So that's what my recovery is. It's, it's, it's instead of it's instead of answering the question of what is my um, recovery consist of, I just say my life is recovery. Yeah. It's just all encompassing. Yeah. yeah. Um, is there, what do you, what do you struggle with right now? Is there anything that you're struggling with right now? Food. Today? Fuck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Damn it. Like, I, I'm a, a lot of good eater. donut shops down there, isn't there? Oh my God. And I hate donuts. <laughs> I've never, I've never eaten a donut and felt better about myself. I've never eaten a donut and said, oh, man, life is so much better now. It's the same <laughs> way with Chinese food for me. Mm -hmm. I have never eaten. A, <laughs> I don't think I've ever eaten a, some, I've never eaten Chinese food with, in a good mental state. I don't know. But it's yeah. food. Um, mm -hmm. I, I struggle with food still. I binge eat. The amount of food I can consume in an evening is sickening. Um, and then I can't kick the idea that one bad item is okay. 
I just get the case of the buckets, and it's like, oh, oh my god, I drank this drink with a little bit of sugar, and then my day's over. Mm-hmm. So, so that the the food thing is a constant struggle for me. Yeah. Um, and because we're so aware of how important food is to overall health, it kills me even more. I'm like, oh yeah. my god, I know it's not good, but there are more good days than bad days. It's just those bad days. I have this cognitive distortion in my head where they just overpower everything. And now I think I'm a piece of shit because I ate something that's not good for me. Yeah. Um, so I struggle with that a lot. Other other than that, I, I've always had, I guess... I don't know if it's called low self-esteem, but I've had a poor view of myself. Like I am less than inferior. What I do is not good enough. What everybody else does is better. Um, everybody's life is perfect. Only a few of us are struggling. So I have that that I deal with on a regular basis. So I'm human, y'all. I, yeah. I, I am very human in that sense. I try to yeah. present well. And inspire hope, but if they ask me to get real, I'll tell you, man, life is fucking hard. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's true. I mean, it's easy for us to, especially with social media and all that stuff, to see everybody and think everybody's doing great, and mm-hmm. and we're the only we're the only ones that are having a tough time of it. But it's 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 hard for everyone. I mean, the mm-hmm. the mental aspect of it and the things that we think about ourselves. Um, yeah, I I feel the same way, man. I really do. When I think about, I oh, it's not good enough. <laughs> share. I hope more people share about it. Uh, think, look at it this way: like when when you when you go to a twelve step meeting or refuge meeting, whatever the meeting, why are the people there? It's because at some point life was really hard. They're, so the common bond, the initial connection, is suffering, pain, struggle. They're not there because life was great. They're there because life was shit. Yeah, so that's there's a great the point. Initial connection. Um, so, why do we lose sight of the struggles and just always show the positive? I don't know. It's a tough question. It's it's hard to figure out how to best approach it. But if, as long as we're open and willing to share, I think that's a great yeah. start. Um, and then one last thing: is there what is the what is the the one best piece of advice you can give to people in recovery um, who are looking to get their physical health back on track. Take it easy and be consistent. If you go to a, if you're, if you're one day clean, I think very few people would benefit from trying to run a marathon right away. And that's where we start, right? Yeah. Um, You go to a recovery center and they give you a gym pass with no instruction what do you do you have no clue so just take it easy but find something you can be consistent with the best form of exercise is the one you're willing to do um that's good running is not for everybody but if you're willing to run i'll support you if you want to just lift some heavy ass shit and grunt go for it because i don't see because i'm because why convince you to do Pilates if all you want to do is throw heavy shit around? Yeah. The best form of exercise is the one you're willing to do continuously um, on a daily basis, etc. And other than, and then, yeah, take it easy from the start. Your body has to recover. And especially if you've been, if you've put yourself through the ringer for years on end, Give your heart some time to recover in the beginning. Start with slow walks. Start with walking. Um, light yoga. Light aerobic activity. Light weight training. Just keep it light for a period of time. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> That's awesome. I love that. That exercise. You said the one that you're willing to do every day. That's the, the best, best exercise one. exercise <laughs> is the one you're willing to do. Patients ask me that all the time. What, what do you think about yoga? And my answer is, are you willing to do it? And if the answer is, I don't know, I'm like, well, that's not the one for you. Yeah. Um, um, that's awesome. I'll, I, um, 
I want thank you for your time today, man. I really appreciate this. It's awesome to meet you. Um, oh, it's a pleasure. And uh, I love I love talking about this. So I I, I appreciate you very much for doing very this. Welcome, You're very welcome. I wanted to give you I wanted to say a couple of things about yes. Uh, on my drive this morning, uh, I listened to uh, the last podcast about the letter W. Yes. And you guys started the conversation with the Booyah tribe. <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> and it's just shit you don't hear very often. Um, and uh, at one point, I was like, one second, are they referring to the same rap group that I'm, I think they're referring to? Yeah, but yes. I've been a hard rap fan since I was eight years old. Wu Tang Clan fucked my life. Uh-huh. Um, my, I have a Wu Tang piece on my left thigh. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was like, oh, the W for sure. But mm-hmm. you guys started talking about Booyah Tribe and what it stood for. And I was like, you know what? I actually don't know what it stands for. I, I know that it's written as T dot art dot, like an acronym. Mm-hmm. I looked it up. So Tribe stands for Too Rough International Booyah Empire. <laughs> I, I was not going to remember that. Too Rough. <laughs> international booyah empire according to wikipedia but well thank you (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome yeah man we i mean we just we just talk about what what we like what we talk about you know so but thank you for looking that up that's awesome for sure for sure um right on dimitri i appreciate it and uh cool well i um if people want to find you on instagram there you're at uh is it is it dimitri fuchs D-M-I-T-R-Y-F-O-O-X. So that's the Instagram. That's the Facebook. Um, Yeah, reach out to me there. I like to believe I'm fairly responsive. (laughs) Well, cool, man. I appreciate your time. All right. Take care, y'all. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter. Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs>